Chapter 28 of The Alhambra, A Series of Tales and Sketches of the Moors and Spaniards by Washington Irving. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 28 Governor Manco and the Soldier When Governor Manco, or the One-Armed, kept up a show of military state in the Alhambra, he became nettled at the reproaches continually cast upon his fortress of being a nestling place of rogues and contrabandistas. On a sudden, the old potentate determined on reform, and, setting vigorously to work, ejected whole nests of vagabonds out of the fortress and the gypsy caves with which the surrounding hills are honeycombed. He sent out soldiers also to patrol the avenues and footpaths with orders to take up all suspicious persons. One bright summer morning, a patrol consisting of the testy old corporal who had distinguished himself in the affair of the notary, a trumpeter, and two privates were seated under the garden wall of the Henrelief, beside the road which leads down from the Mountains of the Sun when they heard the tramp of a horse and a male voice singing in rough though not unmusical tones an old castilian campaigning song presently they beheld a sturdy sunburnt fellow clad in the ragged garb of a foot-soldier leading a powerful arabian horse caparisoned in the ancient morisco fashion astonished at the sight of a strange soldier descending, steed in hand, from that solitary mountain, the corporal stepped forth and challenged him. "'Who goes there?' "'A friend.' "'Who and what are you?' "'A poor soldier, just from the wars, with a cracked crown and empty purse for a reward.' By this time they were enabled to view him more narrowly. He had a black patch across his forehead, which, with a grizzled beard, added to a certain daredevil cast of countenance, while a slight squint threw into the whole an occasional gleam of roguish good-humour. Having answered the questions of the patrol, the soldier seemed to consider himself entitled to make others in return. "'May I ask,' said he, "'what city is this which I see at the foot of the hill?' "'What city?' cried the trumpeter. Come, that's too bad. Here's a fellow lurking about the mountains of the sun, and demands the name of the great city of Granada. Granada! Madre de Dios! Can it be possible? Perhaps not, rejoined the trumpeter, and perhaps you have no idea that yonder are the towers of the Alhambra. Son of a trumpet, replied the stranger, do not trifle with me. If this be indeed the Alhambra, I have some strange matters to reveal to the governor. You will have an opportunity, said the corporal, for we mean to take you before him. By this time the trumpeter had seized the bridle of the steed, the two privates had each secured an arm of the soldier, the corporal put himself in front, gave the word, forward march, and away they marched for the Alhambra. The sight of a ragged foot-soldier and a fine Arabian horse brought in captive by the patrol attracted the attention of all the idlers of the fortress, 
and of those gossip groups that generally assemble about wells and fountains at early dawn. The wheel of the cistern paused in its rotations, the slipshod servant-maid stood gaping with pitcher in hand, as the corporal passed by with his prize. A motley train gradually gathered in the rear of the escort. Knowing nods and winks and conjectures passed from one to another. It is a deserter, said one. A contrabandista, said another. A bandalero, said a third, until it was affirmed that a captain of a desperate band of robbers had been captured by the prowess of the corporal and his patrol. Well, well, said the old crones, one to another, captain or not, let him get out of the grasp of old Governor Manco if he can, though he is but one-handed. Governor Manco was seated in one of the inner halls of the Alhambra, taking his morning's cup of chocolate in company with his confessor, a fat Franciscan friar from the neighboring convent. A demure, dark-eyed damsel of Malaga, the daughter of his housekeeper, was attending upon him. The world hinted that the damsel, who with all her demureness was a sly, buxom baggage, had found out a soft spot in the iron heart of the old governor, and held complete control over him. But let that pass. The domestic affairs of these mighty potentates of the earth should not be too narrowly scrutinized. When word was brought that a suspicious stranger had been taken lurking about the fortress, and was actually in the outer court, endurance of the corporal, waiting the pleasure of his excellency, the pride and stateliness of office swelled the bosom of the governor. Giving back his chocolate cup into the hands of the demure damsel, he called for his basket-hilted sword, girded it to his side, twirled up his mustachios, took his seat in a large high-backed chair, assumed a bitter and forbidding aspect, and ordered the prisoner into his presence. The soldier was brought in, still closely pinioned by his captors, and guarded by the corporal. He maintained, however, a resolute, self-confident air, and returned the sharp, scrutinizing look of the governor with an easy squint, which by no means pleased the punctilious old potentate. "'Well, culprit,' said the governor, after he had regarded him for a moment in silence, "'what have you to say for yourself? Who are you?' "'A soldier, just from the wars, who has brought away nothing but scars and bruises.' "'A soldier? Hm! A foot-soldier by your garb. I understand you have a fine Arabian horse. I presume you brought him, too, from the wars, beside your scars and bruises?' "'May it please your excellency, I have something strange to tell about that horse. Indeed, I have one of the most wonderful things to relate, something, too, that concerns the security of this fortress, indeed, of all Granada. But it is a matter to be imparted only to your private ear, or in presence of such only as are in your confidence." The governor considered for a moment, and then directed the corporal and his men to withdraw, but to post themselves outside of the door, and be ready at call. 
This holy friar, said he, is my confessor ; you may say any thing in his presence ; and this damsel, nodding towards the handmaid, who had loitered with an air of great curiosity, this damsel is of great secrecy and discretion, and to be trusted with any thing. The soldier gave a glance between a squint and a leer at the demure handmaid. " I am perfectly willing," said he, " that the damsel should remain." When all the rest had withdrawn, the soldier commenced his story. He was a fluent, smooth tongued varlet, and had a command of language above his apparent rank. " May it please your excellency," said he, " I am, as I before observed, a soldier, and have seen some hard service ; but my term of enlistment being expired, I was discharged not long since from the army at Valladolid, and set out on foot for my native village in Andalusia. Yesterday evening the sun went down as I was traversing a great dry plain of old Castile." " Hold !" cried the governor, " what is this you say ? Old Castile is some two or three hundred miles from this." " Even so," replied the soldier coolly. " I told your excellency I had strange things to relate, but not more strange than true as your excellency will find if you will deign me a patient hearing." " Proceed, culprit," said the governor, twirling up his mustachios. " As the sun went down," continued the soldier, " I cast my eyes about in search of some quarters for the night, but far as my sight could reach there were no signs of habitation. I saw that I should have to make my bed on the naked plain, with my knapsack for a pillow. But your excellency is an old soldier, and knows that to one who has been in the wars such a night s lodging is no great hardship." The governor nodded assent, as he drew his pocket handkerchief out of the basket hilt of his sword, to drive away a fly that buzzed about his nose. " Well, to make a long story short," continued the soldier, " I trudged forward for several miles, until I came to a bridge over a deep ravine, through which ran a little thread of water, almost dried up by the summer heat. At one end of the bridge was a Moorish tower, the upper part all in ruins, but a vault in the foundations quite entire. Here, thinks I, is a good place to make a halt. So I went down to the stream, took a hearty drink, for the water was pure and sweet, and I was parched with thirst. Then, opening my wallet, I took out an onion and a few crusts, which were all my provisions, and seating myself on a stone on the margin of the stream, began to make my supper, intending afterwards to quarter myself for the night in the vault of the tower, and capital quarters they would have been for a campaigner just from the wars, as your excellency, who is an old soldier, may suppose. I have put up gladly with worse in my time, said the governor, returning his pocket handkerchief into the hilt of his sword. While I was quietly crunching my crust, pursued the soldier, I heard something stir within the vault. I listened. It was the tramp of a horse. By and by a man came forth from a door in the foundation of the tower, 
close by the water's edge, leading a powerful horse by the bridle. I could not well make out what he was by the starlight. It had a suspicious look to be lurking among the ruins of a tower in that wild, solitary place. He might be a mere wayfarer like myself. He might be a contrabandista. He might be a bandolero. What of that? Thank heaven and my poverty! I had nothing to lose. So I sat still and crunched my crusts. He led his horse to the water close by where I was sitting, so that I had a fair opportunity of reconnoitring him. To my surprise he was dressed in a Moorish garb, with a cuirass of steel and a polished skull-cap that I distinguished by the reflection of the stars upon it. His horse, too, was harnessed in the Morisco fashion with great shovel stirrups. He led him, as I said, to the side of the stream, into which the animal plunged his head almost to the eyes, and drank until I thought he would have burst. Comrade, said I, your steed drinks well. It's a good sign when a horse plunges his muzzle bravely into the water. He may well drink, said the stranger, speaking with a Moorish accent. It is a good year since he had his last draught. By Santiago, said I, that beats even the camels that I have seen in Africa. But come, you seem to be something of a soldier. Won't you sit down and take part of a soldier's fare? In fact, I felt the want of a companion in this lonely place, and was willing to put up with an infidel. Besides, as your Excellency well knows, a soldier is never very particular about the faith of his company, and soldiers of all countries are comrades on peaceable ground. The governor again nodded assent. Well, as I was saying, I invited him to share my supper, such as it was, for I could not do less in common hospitality. Um, I have no time to pause for meat or drink, said he. I have a long journey to make before morning. In which direction, said I? Andalusia, said he. Exactly my route, said I. So, as you won't stop and eat with me, perhaps you let me mount and ride with you. I see your horse is of a powerful frame. I'll warrant he'll carry double. Agreed, said the trooper, and it would not have been civil and soldier-like to refuse, especially as I had offered to share my supper with him. So up he mounted, and up I mounted behind him. Hold fast, said he, my steed goes like the wind. Never fear me, said I, and so off we set. From a walk the horse soon passed to a trot, and from a trot to a gallop, and from a gallop to a harem-scarum scamper. It seemed as if rocks, trees, houses, everything, flew hurry-scurry behind us. "'What town is this?' said I. "'Segovia,' said he, and before the words were out of his mouth, the towers of Segovia were out of sight. We swept up the Haradarama Mountains and down by the Escorial, and we skirted the walls of Madrid, and we scoured away across the plains of La Mancha. In this way we went up hill and down dale, by towns and cities, all buried in deep sleep, 
and across mountains and plains and rivers just glimmering in the starlight. To make a long story short, and not to fatigue your excellency, the trooper suddenly pulled up on the side of a mountain. Here we are, said he, at the end of our journey. I looked about, but could see no sign of habitation, nothing but the mouth of a cavern. While I looked, I saw multitudes of people in Moorish dresses, some on horseback, some on foot, arriving as if borne by the wind from all points of the compass, and hurrying into the mouth of the cavern like bees into a hive. Before I could ask a question, the trooper struck his long Moorish spurs into the horse's flanks, and dashed in with the throng. We passed along a steep winding way that descended into the very bowels of the mountain. As we pushed on, a light began to glimmer up by little and little, like the first glimmerings of day, but what caused it I could not discover. It grew stronger and stronger, and enabled me to see everything around. I now noticed, as we passed along, great caverns opening to the right and left, like halls in an arsenal. In some there were shields and helmets and cuirasses and lances and scimitars hanging against the walls. In others there were great heaps of warlike munitions and camp equipage lying upon the ground. It would have done your excellency's heart good, being an old soldier, to have seen such grand provision for war. Then in other caverns there were long rows of horsemen, armed to the teeth, with lances raised and banners unfurled, all ready for the field. But they all sat motionless in their saddles, like so many statues. In other halls were warriors sleeping on the ground beside their horses, and foot-soldiers in groups ready to fall into the ranks. All were in old-fashioned Moorish dresses and armor. Well, Your Excellency, to cut a long story short, we at length entered an immense cavern, or I might say palace, of grotto-work, the walls of which seemed to be veined with gold and silver, and to sparkle with diamonds and sapphires and all kinds of precious stones. At the upper end sat a Moorish king on a golden throne, with his nobles on each side, and a guard of African blacks with drawn scimitars. All the crowd that continued to flock in, and amounted to thousands and thousands, passed one by one before his throne, each paying homage as he passed. Some of the multitude were dressed in magnificent robes, without stain or blemish, and sparkling with jewels, others in burnished and enameled armor, while others were in mouldered and mildewed garments, and in armor all battered and dented and covered with rust. I had hitherto held my tongue, for your excellency well knows it is not for a soldier to ask many questions when on duty, but I could keep silence no longer. Prithee, comrade, said I, what is the meaning of all this? This, said the trooper, is a great and powerful mystery. Know, O Christian, that you see before you the court and army of Boabdil, 
the last king of Granada. What is this you tell me? cried I. Bob Deal and his court were exiled from the land hundreds of years agone, and all died in Africa. So it is recorded in your lying chronicles, replied the Moor, but know that Boabdil and the warriors who made the last struggle for Granada were all shut up in this mountain by powerful enchantment. As to the king and army that marched forth from Granada at the time of surrender, they were a mere phantom train, or spirits and demons permitted to assume those shapes to deceive the Christian sovereigns. And furthermore, let me tell you, friend, that all Spain is a country under the power of enchantment. There is not a mountain cave, not a lonely watch-tower in the plains, nor ruined castle on the hills, but has some spell-bound warrior sleeping from age to age within its vaults, until the sins are expiated for which Allah permitted the dominion to pass for a time out of the hands of the faithful. Once every year, on the eve of St. John, they are released from enchantment from sunset to sunrise, and permitted to repair here to pay homage to their sovereign and the crowds which you beheld swarming into the cavern are moslem warriors from their haunts in all parts of spain for my own part you saw the ruined tower of the bridge in old castile where i have now wintered and summered for many hundred years and where i must be back again by daybreak as to the battalions of horse and foot which you beheld drawn up in array in the neighboring caverns they are the spellbound warriors of Granada. It is written in the Book of Fate that when the enchantment is broken, Boabdil will descend from the mountains at the head of his army, resume his throne in the Alhambra and his sway of Granada, and gathering together the enchanted warriors from all parts of Spain, will reconquer the peninsula and restore it to Moslem rule. A and when will this happen? said I. Allah alone knows. We had hoped the day of deliverance was at hand, but there reigns at present a vigilant governor in Alhambra, a staunch old soldier, the same called Governor Manco, while such a warrior holds command of the very outpost, and stands ready to check the first eruption from the mountain, I fear Boabdil and his soldiery must be content to rest upon their arms. Here the governor raised himself somewhat perpendicularly, adjusted his sword, and uh, twirled up his mustachios. To make a long story short, and not to fatigue your excellency, the trooper, having given me this account, dismounted from his steed. Tarry here, said he, and guard my steed, while I go and bow the knee to Boabdil. So saying, he strode away among the throng that pressed forward to the throne. What's to be done, thought I, when thus left to myself? Shall I wait here until this infidel returns to whisk me off on his goblin steed, the Lord knows where, or shall I make the most of my time and beat a retreat from this hobgoblin community? A soldier's mind is soon made up, as your excellency well knows. As to the horse, 
he belonged to an avowed enemy of the faith and the realm, and was a fair prize according to the rules of war. So, hoisting myself from the crupper into the saddle, I turned the reins, struck the Moorish stirrups into the sides of the steed, and put him to make the best of his way out of the passage by which we had entered. As we scoured by the halls where the Moslem horsemen sat in motionless battalions, I thought I heard the clang of armor and a hollow murmur of voices. I gave the steed another taste of the stirrups and doubled my speed. There was now a sound behind me like a rushing blast. I heard the clatter of a thousand hoofs. A countless throng overtook me. I was borne along in the press and hurled forth from the mouth of the cavern, while thousands of shadowy forms were swept off in every direction by the four winds of heaven. In the whirl and confusion of the scene, I was thrown from the saddle and fell senseless to the earth. When I came to myself, I was lying on the brow of a hill, with the Arabian steed standing beside me for in falling my arm had slipped within the bridle which i presume prevented his whisking off to old castile your excellency may easily judge of my surprise on looking round to behold hedges of aloes and indian figs and other proofs of a southern climate and see a great city below me with towers and palaces and a grand cathedral I descended the hill cautiously, leading my steed, for I was afraid to mount him again, lest he should play me some slippery trick. As I descended, I met with your patrol, who let me into the secret that it was Granada that lay before me, and that I was actually under the walls of the Alhambra, the fortress of the redoubted Governor Manco, the terror of all enchanted Moslems. When I heard this, I determined at once to seek you, Excellency, to inform you of all that I had seen, and to warn you of the perils that surround and undermine you, that you may take measures in time to guard your fortress and the kingdom itself from this intestine army that lurks in the very bowels of the land. And, uh, prithee, friend, you who are a veteran campaigner, and have seen so much service said the governor how would you advise me to go about to prevent this evil it is not for an humble private of the ranks said the soldier modestly to pretend to instruct a commander of your excellency's sagacity but it appears to me that your excellency might cause all the caves and entrances into the mountain to be walled up with solid mason work so that Boabdil and his army might be completely corked up in their subterranean habitation. If the good father, too, added the soldier, reverently bowing to the friar, and devoutly crossing himself, would consecrate the barricades with his blessing, and put up a few crosses and relics and images of saints, I think they might withstand all the power of infidel enchantments. They doubtless would be of great avail, said the friar. The governor now placed his arm akimbo, with his hand resting on the hilt of his Toledo, fixed his eye upon the soldier, 
and gently wagging his head from one side to the other. So, friend, said he, then you really suppose I am to be gulled with this cock-and-bull story about enchanted mountains and enchanted moors. Hark ye, culprit, not another word. An old soldier you may be, but you'll find you have an old soldier to deal with, and one not easily outgeneraled. Ho, guard there, put this fellow in irons. The demure handmaid would have put a word in favor of the prisoner, but the governor silenced her with a look. As they were pinioning the soldier, one of the guards felt something of bulk in his pocket, and drawing it forth found a long leathern purse that appeared to be well filled. Holding it by one corner, he turned out the contents on the table before the governor, and never did freebooter's bag make more gorgeous delivery. Out tumbled rings and jewels and rosaries of pearls, and sparkling diamond crosses, and a profusion of ancient golden coins, some of which fell jingling to the floor, and rolled away to the uttermost parts of the chamber. For a time the functions of justice were suspended. There was a universal scramble after the glittering fugitives. The governor alone, who was imbued with true Spanish pride, maintained his stately decorum, though his eye betrayed a little anxiety until the last coin and jewel was restored to the sack. The friar was not so calm. His whole face glowed like a furnace, and his eyes twinkled and flashed at sight of the rosaries and crosses. "'Sacrilegious wretch that thou art!' exclaimed he. "'What church or sanctuary hast thou been plundering of these sacred relics?' "'Neither one nor the other, holy father. If they be sacrilegious spoils, they must have been taken in times long past by the infidel trooper I have mentioned.' I was just going to tell His Excellency, when he interrupted me, that on taking possession of the trooper's horse I unhooked a leathern sack which hung at the saddle-bow, and which, I presume, contained the plunder of his campaignings in days of old, when the moors overran the country. Mighty well! At present you will make up your mind to take up your quarters in a chamber of the Mermillion Towers, which, though not under a magic spell, will hold you as safe as any cave of your enchanted moors. Your Excellency will do as you think proper, said the prisoner coolly. I shall be thankful to your Excellency for any accommodation in the fortress. A soldier who has been in the wars, as your Excellency well knows, is not particular about his lodgings, and provided I have a snug dungeon and regular rations, I shall manage to make myself comfortable. I would only entreat that while your Excellency is so careful about me, you would have an eye to your fortress, and think on the hint I dropped about stopping up the entrances to the mountain. Here ended the scene. The prisoner was conducted to a strong dungeon in the Vermilion Towers, the Arabian steed was led to His Excellency's stable, and the trooper's sack was deposited in His Excellency's strong-box. 
To the latter, it is true, the friar made some demur, questioning whether the sacred reliques, which were evidently sacrilegious spoils, should not be placed in custody of the church ; but as the governor was peremptory on the subject, and was absolute lord in the Alhambra, the friar discreetly dropped the discussion, but determined to convey intelligence of the fact to the church dignitaries in Granada. To explain these prompt and rigid measures on the part of old Governor Manco, it is proper to observe that about this time the Alpuaja Mountains, in the neighborhood of Granada, were terribly infected by a gang of robbers under the command of a daring chief named Manuel Barrasco, who were accustomed to prowl about the country and even to enter the city in various disguises to gain intelligence of the departure of convoys of merchandise or travellers with well-lined purses whom they took care to waylay in distant and solitary passes of their road these repeated and daring outrages had awakened the attention of government and the commanders of the various posts had received instructions to be on the alert and to take up all suspicious stragglers governor manco was particularly zealous in consequence of the various stigmas that had been cast upon his fortress and he now doubted not that he had entrapped some formidable desperado of this gang in the meantime the story took wind and became the talk not merely of the fortress but of the whole city of granada it was said that the noted robber manuel barrasco the terror of the alpurajas had fallen into the clutches of old governor manco and had been cooped up by him in a dungeon of the vermilion towers and every one who had been robbed by him flocked to recognize the marauder the vermilion towers as is well known stand apart from the alhambra on a sister hill separated from the main fortress by the ravine down which passes the main avenue there were no outer walls but a sentinel patrolled before the tower the window of the chamber in which the soldier was confined was strongly grated and looked upon a small esplanade here the good folks of granada repaired to gaze at him as they would at a laughing hyena grinning through the cage of a menagerie nobody however recognized him for manuel barrasco for that terrible robber was noted for a ferocious physiognomy and had by no means the good-humoured squint of the prisoner visitors came not merely from the city but from all parts of the country but nobody knew him and there began to be doubts in the minds of the common people whether there might not be some truth in his story that boabdil and his army were shut up in the mountain was an old tradition which many of the ancient inhabitants had heard from their fathers numbers went up to the mountains of the sun or rather of st elena in search of the cave mentioned by the soldier and saw and peeped into the deep dark pit descending no one knows how far into the mountain and which remains there to this day the fabled entrance to the subterranean abode of Boabdil. 
By degrees the soldier became popular with the common people. A freebooter of the mountains is by no means the opprobrious character in Spain that a robber is in any other country. On the contrary, he is a kind of chivalrous personage in the eyes of the lower classes. There is always a disposition, also, to cavil at the conduct of those in command, and many began to murmur at the high-handed measures of old Governor Manco, and to look upon the prisoner in the light of a martyr. The soldier, however, was a merry, waggish fellow that had a joke for every one who came near his window, and a soft speech for every female. He had procured an old guitar also and would sit by his window and sing ballads and love ditties to the delight of the women of the neighborhood who would assemble on the esplanade in the evenings and dance boleros to his music having trimmed off his rough beard his sunburned face found favor in the eyes of the fair and the demure handmaid of the governor declared that his squint was perfectly irresistible this kind-hearted damsel had, from the first, evinced a deep sympathy in his fortunes, and having in vain tried to mollify the governor, had set to work privately to mitigate the rigor of his dispensations. Every day she brought the prisoner some crumbs of comfort which had fallen from the governor's table, or been abstracted from his larder, together with, now and then, a consoling bottle of choice Val de Peñas, or rich Malaga. While this petty treason was going on in the very centre of the old governor's citadel, a storm of open war was brewing up among his external foes. The circumstances of a bag of gold and jewels having been found upon the person of the supposed robber had been reported, with many exaggerations, in Granada. A question of territorial jurisdiction was immediately started by the governor's inveterate rival, the captain-general. He insisted that the prisoner had been captured without the precincts of the Alhambra and within the rules of his authority. He demanded his body, therefore, and the spoilia optima taken with him due information having been carried likewise by the friar to the grand inquisitor of the crosses and the rosaries and other relics contained in the bag he claimed the culprit as having been guilty of sacrilege and insisted that his plunder was due to the church and his body to the next auto de fe the feuds ran high the governor was furious and swore rather than surrender his captive he would hang him up within the Alhambra as a spy caught within the purlieu of the fortress. The captain-general threatened to send a body of soldiers to transfer the prisoner from the Vermilion Towers to the city. The Grand Inquisitor was equally bent upon dispatching a number of the familiars of the Holy Office. Word was brought late at night to the governor of these machinations. Let them come! said he they'll find me beforehand with them he must rise bright and early who would take in an old soldier he accordingly issued orders to have the prisoner removed at daybreak to the donjon keep within the walls of the alhambra 
and do you hear, child, said he to his demure handmaid, tap at my door and wake me before cock-crowing, that I may see to the matter myself. The day dawned, the cock crowed, but nobody tapped at the door of the governor. The sun rose high above the mountain-tops, and glittered in at his casement, ere the governor was awakened from his morning dreams by his veteran corporal, who stood before him with terror stamped upon his iron visage. "'He's off! He's gone!' cried the corporal, gasping for breath. "'Who's off? Who's gone?' The, the soldier, the robber, the, the devil, for aught I know. His dungeon is empty, but the door locked. No one knows how he has escaped out of it. Who saw him last? Your handmaid. She brought him his supper. Let her be called instantly. Here was new matter of confusion. The chamber of the demure damsel was likewise empty. Her bed had not been slept in. She had doubtless gone off with the culprit, as she had appeared for some days past to have frequent conversations with him. This was wounding the old governor in a tender part, but he had scarce time to wince at it when new misfortunes broke upon his view. On going into his cabinet he found his strong-box open, the leathern purse of the trooper extracted and with it a couple of corpulent bags of doubloons. But how and which way had the fugitives escaped? A peasant who lived in a cottage by the roadside leading up into the Sierra declared that he had heard the tramp of a powerful steed just before daybreak passing up into the mountains. He had looked out at his casement and could just distinguish a horseman with a female seated before him. "'Search the stables!' cried Governor Manco. The stables were searched. All the horses were in their stalls, excepting the Arabian steed. In his place was a stout cudgel tied to the manger, and on it a label bearing these words, "'A gift to Governor Manco from an old soldier.'" End of chapter 28